my head.
Maybe some of you have a, a joy you'd like to start us off with. Let's, uh, let's uh, wait for that. Who's going to give us a joy? We're going on vacation tomorrow. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. Terrific. Wonderful. got back from vacation and it was wonderful. All right. Comings and goings of vacations. We're just grateful uh, for a few folks. All right. Let's turn to our uh, concerns. What uh, What is it that we, we shouldn't forget? We better pray Make sure we pray before we leave this place. But uh, what is um, word's probably gotten around. Uh, Lucille Merrill passed away. We want to remember her family. Um, what a, uh, a dear, tender request we have to be able to lift them up. Anybody else? Uh, our oldest son, Cameron, and his wife, Caroline, have been on the adoption list for, well, a few months now. Uh, 
one sheet of them were prayers, were prayers. Uh, they had one kind of uh, lead that fell through, uh, but it's been a long journey. So. Okay. Pray for a family that's on the adoption list, and uh, that can be a disappointingly long time. It's uh, my friend Jeff is will be taking the scans at the end of the month. We have all radiation. Well, 
that's the best thing we can do in order to fight some of these things if we get them if we start with a healthy body we have a better chance to fight it off all right and that's worth praying about not just for us but those we know amen all right a little bit louder amen, amen. amen. all right yes okay another prayer request i'm afraid of people who are coming in without being checked and that's uh, careless but then where do we find doctors to check everybody that's worth praying about that's worth praying about no matter how a person gets in if they snuck in and they're sick they need a doctor they need well without getting too far into that subject uh, we really need to lift it up the prayer don't we Amen. Thank you for bringing that up. That's uh, we do need to pray. Anybody else? Yes. Cindy Emil is still in the hospital at Ohio University, and uh, all kinds of problems. And she is a private member, but hasn't been able to come the last couple of three years. Okay, we'll pray for, we'll pray for Cindy. Cindy. Thank you. Pray for, uh, pray for Canada, pray for out west. Um, pray for the wildfires. Um, pray for recovery. It's wonderful what rain can do if they can get it. Uh, it was, uh, the last chapter of Zechariah reminds us how God will send drought on the places that leave the sanctuary, that leave the places of worship. And when by government edict you order people out, you're creating a, a wrathful condition. Um, pray about that too. I, I don't want to speak the mind of God if I'm not exactly on spot, but um, the drought that's happening over there could be here next. And so we, with great humility, I advise you to just write that down when the prayer requests go out in our uh, online service, when it goes out, jot that down. Pray, pray that uh, God will create a movement that fills the churches back up um, and that we can do what we can to ward off drought. Um, and uh, if we see drought coming, pray harder. Okay. Any other Okay, um, as always, those who feel like they want God's touch in their lives for their service of the Lord, raise your hand. Okay, amen. Then uh, praying for those who need Jesus, man, they're alive. They don't want to. They don't want to be going to a hot place with uh, uh, forever. And if they want the Jesus, blood and mercy on their lives, just raise your hand if you're 
someone you're praying for, Lord, please touch their lives before it's over. Okay, amen. Let's lift up our hearts to the Lord, prepare him by lifting up our voices. Father, for 
uh, scan that Jim will get it by the end of the month. We thank you that there's not much end of the month left. We thank you that the wait is shorter. We pray that that is a relief to him as he waits. And be with Pam, our Heavenly Father, as she also is uh, uh, waiting to results. And we just pray, Father, you be healing her. Be with another friend who's waiting for cancer tests to be concluded. We ask that it gives the right answer that she's looking for. We pray, Father, for uh, something we don't want to hear. We pray for a bunch of things we don't want to hear, but uh, this one in particular, uh, outbreaks of um, COVID that seems to be popping up indiscriminately one place and another. For school systems that are bracing themselves, for what to do in the fall, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, and that horrible phrase, oh no, not this again. Oh Father, um, help them to bear up, have strength, have peace. Help them find uh, comfort in one another as they await who knows what. We pray for the border conflict and it's um, where it seems like an illegal entry has um, created a um, yellow brick road and a pot of gold at the end and all the wonderful uh, things that uh, that seem to have promised. It just has not turned out that way for a good many people. Uh, some of them never got to the border. It grieves our heart to think that uh, something like this has been uh, thrown up as a solution. Our Heavenly Father, for those who are in that battle, and it grieves them every day, but we've got folks from Ohio, folks from all across the country who are just waiting as National Guards to be called to go down and take their turn at the borders. Our Heavenly Father, so many people just waiting to try to do what they can um, to offer a merciful gift in creating enforcement and protection. Above all things, we would pray our Heavenly Father that our regular immigration route would become more, much more efficient at processing folks so that the line will be there and, uh, and not these uh, other indiscreet places. Our gracious Father, for those who are on the path to sneak in and they're in harm's way. They're out in a place where they can't find water, can't find food. They're, they're, they're melting in the elements. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we ask for their lives that uh, mercy would reach them. We pray we just lift this whole conflict and put it in your capable hands. Pray as a nation that, as a nation that we can come to agreement that uh, whether it's right or wrong to come in the borders, that you're the one who knows the answer most of all. We ought to listen to you. So pray, we pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would um, set our country to giving in to you and knowing that all of our answers are best sought. We pray for this drought that has caused wildfires. We pray for the dry portions of 
of our United States and of Canada. We pray that your mercy would fall as rain upon them. We pray for the solution for those communities that don't have enough water for their wells to be able to have something that can sustain life. Gracious Father, we pray horrifically great requests. But we're not asking man. We're asking you. So we have confidence in you. Please reach out to them. We ask you to be with those who are uh, reaching out to you and just struggling in their service of you, or maybe they're just having great joy in their service of you, great success. They just want greater success. They love you so much, our Heavenly Father, they just want to do their very best for you. We pray you be especially close to them as they serve and as they find ways to serve. We pray you be with our church as we're considering how to open up a Sunday school class this fall and creating something that, uh, that we can spread the word around and uh, get folks who aren't even coming to church yet excited for a chance to come. We pray, Father, for uh, especially those who don't know you, that they would find a class like this and a church like ours as a place where their uh, darkened eyes can be opened to illumination of the new that the light of truth and that the life of Christ would be something to be attracted to and that their unsaved souls could find salvation. Our gracious Father, hear us while we pray. There are many that we know we wish you to save them. Save them. We pray, Father, pray for another who's in the OSU hospital. We ask you to be with her and mentor like her to be able to come back and join us in church. And so we ask you to bring healing to her. There are a lot of folks who just, Heavenly Father, we know they're under medical care and, and they, just, they just need to be able to respond to the treatments given them. And uh, while things seem slow, we pray that the day comes, they'll respond. Father, we bless you and thank you for uh, chance to be able to give to your service and to look with wonder what our tangible gifts and our gifts of service can perform when they're given to your hands. So these things we give to you in thanks, knowing that you're able to multiply the fish and the loaves, um, and you're able to multiply the that which we place in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture lesson is, uh, can anyone take a guess? It's Psalm 85, and uh, we're, uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, verse 9 this morning, and, uh, and I, uh, I think it'll be a, a blessing, it'll be a word worth uh, uh, God fixing it to all of our hearts, yours, mine, all who join and hear uh, our service. Uh, where were they would be hearing it from. And so a blessing is on the way. If you would, just look up with faith to God. 
Uh, we're starting in uh, verse 8, going to the end of the psalm. And uh, those of you who caught us uh, online late in this, you can look back over our uh, earlier messages, um, but especially go back and read the first seven verses of Psalm 85. We um, commit this to the Holy Spirit and ask that he'll make it a blessing to your heart. But let's, uh, let's open ourselves to the Lord and how he speaks to our hearts, starting with verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. This is the wonderful, almighty, powerful word of God. Lord, speak through your word. When I came to Christ, it was a time about a year after high school was over for me. When I came to Christ, uh, I was uh, seeking a way to get my feet grounded. Uh, the church where I received Christ uh, had a new believers class. They, I thought this worked because there are a number of times prior that I read a gospel track or heard a presentation that uh, stirred my heart, but it didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do with that afterwards. And so this uh, church offered something that uh, helped fill in an empty spot, something that was uh, never really explained. And so I began uh, taking those classes, uh, but, but afterwards, uh, Someone had made the suggestion, soon after my salvation, some, someone made the suggestion how good it would be if I listened to the Christian radio station WCRF out of Cleveland. It was a syndicate of the Moody Bible Institute, uh, a, a radio station that is uh, committed to the spread of scriptural standards and uh, a lot of preaching all day long. A lot of preaching. Uh, but preaching in all kinds of different ways. There were one-minute meditations on biblical themes that uh, had regular hours, and you could, different times of the day, you could wait, be, be ready for that. There were five-minute presentations, 10-minute presentations, and there were 30-minute spots. Uh, sometimes the 30-minute spots covered the biographies of famous Christians, uh, or it had the testimonies of sinners who came to Christ through some mission effort uh, in the United States, Pacific Gardens. I remember uh, there that mission outreach, uh, uh, some of the stories that came out of those. Um, and also it, it had uh, missionary stories, had uh, Jewish outreach, it had um, creation research, had focus on the family, all kinds of different ministries that were part of the way of preaching the gospel 
in different kinds of uh, venues. They even had a kids' corner after school time so that uh, young kids could hear the gospel presented in a way that, uh, that was just right for their ears to be able to hear. And again, lots of different ways, uh, Bible stories, uh, nature corner that uh, showed the God of creation and his marvelous works in animals with, um, with talking animals. I mean, this was wonderful for the kids, you know. Um, and, and so many different things, so many different things. Um, uh, one of the fellows I enjoyed listening to was Robert A. Cook, the one-time president of King's College in uh, New York. Um, the close of his program, I, he'd always say, and walk with the king and be a blessing. And I just, uh, just remember him uh, and his witness. Um, and his witness was um, not a bold and loud witness, but it was calmly spoken and just a delight to listen to him. I remember one time he told of his father. His father, Charles, was a man who was um, immensely shy. He was bashful, he was, uh, we'd call, backwards to the extent that whatever food was served and the family gathered, he would get his plate of food and excuse himself to another room to eat in private. He was that shy about being around people. But Robert A. Cook went on to explain that that's, even though his father was shy in that way, that when he had a chance to speak to a sinner about the love of Christ and how Jesus came to save that sinner's life, it was like a button was pushed. It was like this shy person changed so much uh, that you, you just couldn't believe what a, a difference had come over him, that he had such a confidence and such a determination to speak to a sinner to try to convince that sinner would uh, accept Christ and be saved. Now we hear something like that and we think, well, that's, that's, that's remarkable. It is rather remarkable to be able to hear about that kind of a transformation in the life of a shy person. At the same time, we hear that, we ought to remind ourselves that everything about salvation is remarkable. In all the kinds of ways in which God creates situations for a person who in the most unlikely fashion comes to a place where they hear the gospel and it catches them off guard and they hear it and they can't hardly resist it because they realize there's no other explanation for the things that they're hearing except that God has set it up. God is a remarkable God. And he is used to doing remarkable things. And the thing that he is most committed to being able to do his works remarkably surround the gospel. Amen if you're just excited about that. Yeah. Um, that is the thing that God, if we can speak in human terms, has his heart most set upon. He's done 
everything he could think of to be able to provide for that message of salvation. He, he has spared at no expense. We know that, right? We know we can explain that very easily that we know that God is spared. There, there's nothing that he has held back because he gave his only son for the cause that his death and on the cross has provided this salvation to those who are lost. In fact, in my thinking, I don't think that God the Father needed to do half of that to be able to save all of our souls. Uh, a half of the sacrifice of, of Christ would be, even at that, would be more than enough to save our miserable souls, right, on this earth? I mean, all that we are, all that we've ever could have amounted to on our own, um, God didn't have to spend that much. But what does the scripture say? That he lavishly poured these gifts on us. He lavishly spent for us so that we could see from a human point of view that here is a God who has spared no expenses on our behalf. How could we ever imagine that he's not willing to keep spending on us? He's, he's, he blew the whole account and found it not a wasteful gesture on his part. Why? Because he loves us that much. He loves us that much. I still can't get over it. Can you? He loves us that much. Last week we explored the attributes of a revival, speaking of how peace and righteousness were elements of a, a good revival, and they were great, great elements of revival. This week our focus is on salvation. We know that's an, an absolutely great element of revival. Uh, so great we see it described here in verse 9. It says, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. How so? Why so? Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Why? So that glory may dwell in our land. Our, our salvation contributes to the glory that's in the land. Imagine that. Uh, and, it, and it says, his salvation. In, in other words, it doesn't mean any, any particular kind of salvation, uh, you know, brand X uh, salvation, generic salvation, anybody else's salvation. It, this verse says, God's salvation. His salvation is what he wants to give to the lost. Uh, you, you never have to think, well, you know, this, uh, should I be looking for some other kind of salvation to augment what I already have? You already got your past. Anything else is a step down. Anyone else who went for something else, they didn't get it. God says he wants to give us his salvation. Uh, that's, a, that's a distinction from any other kind. Well, what does salvation mean? Let's go there. Take a few moments to look at that. 
right from the start, we ought to think, well, for this salvation is so great, what is it? What, what actually is it is? We, we kind of know what it does, but in the Old Testament, when we look at it, we find that this word is a rather broad term. It, come, it, 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 uh, it, it comes to uh, mean, have a broad meaning, meaning of, uh, that ranges from just the idea of having a great liberty or a, a deliverance from something, a prosperity, or even a great victory, um, or just simply salvation in general, salvation from all kinds of things. Salvation in respect to someone's health, their life, their life circumstances. Um, it could be a group of people, it could be a nation, it could be a, any kind of a, a collection of, of, of folks anyway. Salvation is um, said to come when a nation is delivered from the defeat of the hands of their enemies. Nations need help. And a nation that's going great can suddenly need help. Very suddenly. Nations that shouldn't need help, they sometimes need help. In 416 BC, during the Peloponnesian War, between Athens and Sparta, Athens was getting ready to take a little side trip and attack the neutral island of Milos. And uh, when word got to the Milians, they protested Athens uh, to be able to say, why attack us? Why attack us? We've done nothing to you. We're neutral. We've done, done nothing to get in your way. We've done nothing to offend you. Why attack us? Athens' response was this, the strong do what they can, the weak suffer what they must. That doesn't sound very merciful, does it? But that's the story of history. There are all kinds of nations and groups and peoples that have been caught in the crosshairs and fired upon unmercifully. Israel has been that kind of a nation countless times in history. And they've been uh, attacked by nations and uh, entities that were judged too big to fail. Goliath and the Philistines were judged too big to fail at one time. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, Chaldeans, Egyptians, Greeks, Ninevites, and on and on the list goes. And Israel finds herself in that circumstance even today. But you look around, you think about it, that God has been with Israel down through the ages, those countless times that they've been in those kinds of, kinds of conditions and troubles. And God has been able to give them a national salvation from those kinds of enemies. Yes, we know it has a spiritual application as well. And we see the, the vivid display of what that spiritual condition is from the very first story in the Bible. In, in creation, we know that in the story of uh, Adam and Eve, the first family on earth, that um, Adam and Eve walked in perfect relationship with God at, at, from, the, from their very beginning. And as they walked with God, said they walked with God in the evening. Well, then God told them about the tree in the garden, not, don't eat the fruit, and they ate the fruit, and after that time they started hiding from God. Why? Well, it was because they 
broke their relationship toward God by disobedience, by their sin. And so sin in its very essence is when the people on earth sin against God and, and they break their relationship and they go and turn their own way and say, we're, we're, we're acting uh, our own way, but we don't need your help, thank you. It's a broken relationship with God that needs to be mended. Hiding from God, staying away from God, being ashamed to face Him, to, to, being ashamed to see Him, uh, to be seen in public as being a person who uh, identifies with God. You know, some, suddenly they go secret. Don't want people to know that. Broken relationship. In the New Testament, we see this in the parable of the prodigal son. He wants to escape from his father's relationship and live utterly apart from God. Well, we can take that by halves, and a person who wants to just live half for God and half for themselves, that's still a broken relationship. It's the essence of sin. And salvation, as a general term, is that whole thing about repairing that rift between us and God, to reestablish a relationship with God. And suffice to say, that God already has done everything he possibly can to communicate that to all in order to get their attention that he wants to mend that relationship. See the difference between all the religions of the world and Christianity is this, the, uh, that all the religions of the world are really quick to tell you what all kinds of things you need to do in order to uh, mend your relationship with the eternal one, whatever the eternal one would be. Uh, that you must do this, you must do that, and all, if you do all these things, you'll make it, and there'll be a place for you in the afterlife. But only in Christianity does it come to you and say, it's not what you can do for yourself. Your sin has separated you from God the Father, and there's nothing you can do uh, to be able to get that stain out and uh, you're totally reliant upon the one who can. It's what God has done for you. It's not what you can do for God, but what God has already done for you. Just come to him and accept him. The other element of that we see in the psalm. In this very psalm, verse 9 again, his salvation is nearer to those who fear him. See, this is what we all know about coming to Christ. There came a point when we were just minding our own business without God in our lives, or maybe minding our business with the idea that you know, we, there's not much we have to do to please God because, hmm, it's me. Huh? It's what I'm doing must be acceptable to God because look at how good I am, how wonderful I am. God must certainly accept the things that I do because I do more good than bad, and he'll certainly accept that. But it comes to the point when we see what a gross failure that we are in assuming such a thing as that, and that all of our, even our good deeds are an offense to God because our good deeds are done in a way to be able to say, God, look, you know, I've, I've, I've done this to save myself. You don't need my help. And God is saying, you don't need, why did I send my son to die on the cross if you don't need my help? You're saying that my gift of my son was a waste of my time? Uh, I beg to differ. 
And God sends the little note on the fish hook that says, sorry, Charlie. You know, that's not right. You're wrong. You die, you go to hell forever. And it is when we come to that conclusion uh, of what a fearful condition that we are in, thinking that we can save ourselves or not even thinking we have to save ourselves, but that the whole question doesn't make any difference, doesn't, doesn't make a difference to us, uh, that, that uh, when we finally come to the realization that we were wrong, uh, it's a fearful thing. And then we come to God in admission. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. I fear for my circumstance. Oh God, I hate this fear. What can be done about it? And the Father says, accept the gift of my eternal son for the debt that you have accrued that has cast you into hell and has your name on that book. He's the only one that can erase that and put you in the book of life. And then we come mercifully to him. We come humbly to him. We come, God, oh, save my life. Save my life. God has done everything for the message of salvation that it would get out. He will continue to do anything Thing, everything because he has already put everything in it he will continue to do this and so when Paul in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 and 3 says to the Colossian church he says devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. When Paul says pray that a door would be opened, God has provided for that. As a church, committing ourselves to praying that God will open a door for ministry and do remarkable things. And do remarkable things. The more times and ways that we can get together and be praying for that, praying for the laws, I mean, what God sets in motion because of that. We, we end up going different places and all of a sudden we run into somebody and we get a chance to declare uh, the truth of his salvation and we wonder, how in the world could this ever have even happened? Except that God helped us to cross paths with a sinner or a group of sinners that needed to find the message of salvation. How many times I've run across someone who's uh, been living that kind of a life where, oh, I just hope I've done enough good things to make heaven. And I get the chance to be able to say, you know, it's not about that and be able to give a testimony to Christ. There's this whole thing in this passage talking about the surely his salvation is near, the whole idea of the nearness of God. Sometimes, sometimes uh, a Christian might say, you know, I used to have sensed the nearness of God. I remember times when I felt the nearness of God was so, he was so close to me. 
and now it just seems like he's not near, near like he used to be and I wish I knew what I could do to to get that back and I'm paying my tithes and coming to church I'm reading my Bible I'm saying my prayers I'm I'm doing different acts of service. I'm doing community things. I'm, I'm merciful to others. I'm charitable to those who need I'm doing all these kinds of things that I, I just wish I knew what I could do to get the nearness of God back to me. Um, might I suggest, I know there are a lot of things that can be counseled on this note, but one of the best things that I could recommend best ways to get the nearness of God close to the heart of a Christian is sharing the gospel of Jesus and sinners. Or where else can we uh, find the closeness of God more close than when sharing the eternal message of Christ? For there is no sinner that could ever come to believe in the gospel without the presence of the Holy Spirit right there. There's no person who could ever speak the message uh, that, that can help awaken a, a heart to salvation than, unless the, the Holy Spirit is there. I can't go off on my own and start speaking salvation to somebody and, and, and someone uh, receiving Christ and then uh, later on uh, God coming back to me and saying, Gary, thank you so much for doing that. I, I was kind of busy at the office, but you went on your own. You did such a good job. That person believed because of you. Uh, that, that doesn't happen. It happens when I obediently open my mouth in the, in the trust and faith and the presence of God, knowing that, that he's in those words, that, uh, that I'm speaking a, a testimony that comes from heaven. Um, I, can't, I can't do that. You can't do that without the nearness of God in you. you just open yourselves up to the, the moment when a, a sinner needs to hear something about Christ and you just start, start telling them that salvation is in no, in no one but Jesus. And just start telling them the Holy Spirit will help you in how to speak those words and you will find him close. You will find him close. He wants to be close. His desire is to be close to us. And we see, uh, we see the elements of this just everywhere. The whole idea of the importance of salvation uh, is elevated throughout Scripture. Acts 14, 27, it says, And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Um, open the door of faith, praying that God would open a door so that the word of Christ would be spoken. Exodus 15, 2, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The salvation is so, so good, it will put a skip in our heart, and we'll begin to sing. Salvation over and over through scripture, over and over. Lead me to your truth, it says in Psalm 25, verse five, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. Uh, for you, I will wait all the day. You know, we need to be taught. And taught the things of faith, and the things of faith we learn will help us to understand our salvation all the more. 
and God will be close. Even when we fight life's battles, we find Psalm 35, verse 3, it says, Draw also a spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue, who pursue me and say to my soul, I am your salvation. Even in life's circumstances, God will come close and demonstrate salvation. And sometimes we get just so busy and uh, stuck in a rut that uh, we need God to be able to remind us that, listen, slow down. I am the God of your salvation. Remember me? Sometimes we need him to act in a hurry. Psalm 38, 22, make haste to help me, O God of my salvation. And God is so committed that he can come quickly, he can come slowly, he can come gradually, he can come continually based on what our needs and our circumstances would be. He's willing to save us and save us to the uttermost. He is the God of our salvation. Even in Psalm 85, verse 4, it says, Restore us, O God, of our salvation and cause your indignation toward us to cease. And this is a national prayer. God, restore us. Not, not restore me, but God, restore us. Over and over again through Scripture, just the appeals for salvation and uh, God over and over again. Daniel says, uh, chapter 6, verse 25, he delivers or he saves and he rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of lions. How many times have we noticed in our own lives uh, uh, and that early on in our salvation, God was doing remarkable things. Why? Because he had a babe in Christ and babes need special care. I think uh, the great often, oftentimes uh, the, in the, uh, in the testimony of uh, anyone in their salvation, it was like, how do we know that God got through? How do we know that God actually saved us? We can usually look back and think, well, God was doing some remarkable things that made it abundantly clear to my heart. I had all these different problems, and when I accepted Christ, they went away. Not every last problem, but sometimes just some of our problems go away just immediately. We wonder, well, how could that have happened just because I accept Christ? And there's no other logical connection other than, than God was demonstrating us by signs and wonders that he got a hold of us. That he got a hold of us. You know, it's like the people of God going into the promised land. God said, here, I've cleared a spot for you. Go and take and possess the land. But even though I've cleared a spot for you, there's still some other enemies throughout the land. You need to drive them out. Oh, so you got rid of some of the things, but not all the things. Yes, I did. But I left you some. Um, it's your faithful work to go out and do that. We know that in our own lives. There, there are things that he got rid of, but there's not everything. There's still a works in progress. There are other things that need to be taken care of. And uh, so in other words, uh, God doesn't just come to us and say, Here, here's your salvation, but as to your other problems you got in your life, you're going to have to look so, somewhere else for that. No, that's not true. God saves us, and he wants us to keep looking at us be able to drive out all those other things. Just like the people of God trying to clear out the land so that it would be a land totally given over to him. So God wants our life to get pure. All the, the stuff that confounds us to be driven out. How do you like to be free of all that junk? <laughs> Still some left? Yeah, I know it. I know it. And, and keep trusting. This salvation is big enough. The nearness. The nearness is there. 
the, the word nearness, salvation is near. Uh, John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus uh, said, uh, from that time Jesus says, Jesus began to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1.15 says, the time is fulfilled, but the kingdom of God is at hand. Luke 10, 20 through 37, same, same message. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. The nearness of God is promised wherever we go. Uh, is the nearness of God is uh, verifiable wherever we go. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, is what Psalm 23 reminds us. Uh, Seek the Lord while he is near, Isaiah 55, verse 6 says. Call upon him while he is near. And, and so uh, even for sinners uh, realizing that there's uh, someone on the outside knocking on the door trying to get in, it's time to open up and let it in. God is near. With us, God is here. <laughs> He's with us. He's in us. He's ready to continue to perform other great works. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 5 said, let your, says this. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Why? <laughs> Why do that? Well, it answers the question, but let me reread it. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Why? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He can work through gentle hearts. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, listen now, been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all, it says. In other words, the Lord be near. I got time for just the last little bit of this. It says, surely, verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Why? That the glory, that glory may dwell in our land. I just simply want to remind us of the journey of God's presence with respect to the worship place. All right? Remember in the Old Testament, remember in Exodus, God commands that the people of Israel fashion together a temple. And uh, he asks for those who are filled with the Spirit to be able to uh, bring the craftsmen who are filled with the Spirit to be able to fashion together this, this movable tent, this tabernacle in the wilderness that would be carried wherever they go. And once they built it, once they, they, they fabricated it, and once they got it all set, um, it says that the Spirit of God filled it. All right? And they finally uh, wandered along, got their way. You know, they stayed in this, uh, the, this tent. This was their, their great worship space and the place where, where God met with the people. Um, but when they got to uh, the promised land, it says that there came a day when the temple had to be built, uh, a real permanent temple. And it was at that time that Solomon led for this temple to be built. When it was built, guess what? When the day of dedication came, it says the presence of God filled that place. God was near. Then when that was destroyed and a second temple was built, same thing. That temple was filled by the Holy Spirit. Um, you know what, my friends? It's uh, surprising, but not. God calls us 
the temple of the Holy Spirit. We were always a temple. It's just that we were an empty temple that was wanting to be filled. And when we bowed to Christ and asked forgiveness, and God wiped our sin away, says the Holy Spirit moved inside, he filled us, an empty, worthless old temple. He filled us with his glory. He filled us with his glory. And in, in as much as any of us ever come to Christ and are filled with the, the presence of Christ and filled with his glory, uh, it is just that much more glory that it says that glory may dwell in our land. When you and I, any of us, accepted Christ and were filled, dwelt within by the Holy Spirit, his glory moved in. Remember that day? Uh, what a joy that, that was. And what a joy that is to continue remembering that wonderful transformation. The song we're about to close with is a terrific story, The Love of God. It's, uh, it's a story that recalls, I'll keep it brief, save it for another day to be able to talk more exactly. But the Jew Jewish community was in peril, um, and uh, judgment of the community around them was that all the Jews should be destroyed. And there was a Jewish gentleman who had studied law and came before that community and presented an argument as to why that judgment against the Jews was not right. And the song that was written to recall this event speaks of the arduous task of the lawyer trying to write that written argument and to recall in a great figure of the mercy of God could we with ink that ocean fill skies uh, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade could write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry of you. Um, no act of man, but every act of God can bring a deliverance. Later, much later in time, I think around the turn of the 1800s to the 1900s, a uh, message was uh, written on a jail cell that had translated a portion of this old, old poem. That it still existed as a poem. He uh, got a hold of it and it touched him and changed his life and he had written what he had translated. And uh, when they got a hold of that, it so stirred everybody that it wasn't long before a song was, the music was added to the words and it hit the gospel circuits as it well should. Now, I tell you this in brief, simply to say that Christian history is filled with remarkable stories like that. 
But we should, even though we are amazed by things like that, we should used to, we should be getting used to being amazed. Amen? Because the message of salvation is so great that God is continually doing amazing things to get the point across. So we'll close our time thinking about the salvation of God, and as we lift up our hearts, we know that why does God save us? Because he loves us. We sing that in triumph. Sing it with joy. Sing it with a moist spot in your eyes if you have to, but sing it out to the Lord, will you? Let's uh, stand and sing.
receive the benediction, receive the nearness of God, receive that lively reminder of the day you first believed, receive that exciting promise there are still lost that need to be found. Receive the comfort that when that happens, no matter what kind of stage you may think yourself to be on, it'll be all right because God promises to be with you. Receive that exciting joy that you might get to see God's glory come upon someone or a bunch of someone who do not have it. And you'll have front row seat. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you. Uh.